This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello, and welcome to TSC Now. As always, I'm your host, Dan Klein. As summer comes to a close and kids go back to school in person for the first time in over a year, I thought it would be helpful to focus this episode on advice for parents on making decisions on school for their kids in the face of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, how to ensure that kids in schools with IEPs get the services they are entitled to and need to succeed in the classroom, and finally, some strategies for parents to deal with the stress, trauma, and anxiety that all of us are feeling right now. First, I talked to Lillian Ansari, TSC Alliance Community Programs Resource Advisor, and asked her what options parents have if they are nervous about sending their kids back to school in person, how parents can advocate with their IEP team to make up any lost learning during remote education, and generally how parents can prepare for the year ahead. Here's my conversation with Lillian. I'm now joined by Lilian Ansari, TSC Alliance Community Program Resource Advisor. Lilian, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. So just to begin this conversation, it's the end of August. Kids are either already back in school or going back to school, and they're going back after a year of remote learning and disruptions and at a time where COVID is still not under control in a lot of places. There are a lot of surges because of the Delta variant, and it's unclear what in-person schooling is going to look like district to district. So as a parent, how are you feeling about the return to in-person schooling? Well, it's been an extremely difficult year and a half for our family, obviously, and we were ready to have the kids have some semblance of normalcy and to have a structured day and go back to school. Both my children have disabilities. My 16-year-old, who's Less impacted is at a non-public school and is in a classroom of only about five students. He initially really liked distance learning because he's drawn to technology. And so the virtual format also removed some of the social pressures for him and put him more in control of his day. But then eventually he kind of grew tired of that and we could see significant changes in his behavior and his other skills. He's actually now been back to in-person learning at extended school years, summer school for the past four weeks. And we've seen a huge improvement in him in many ways. And I felt comfortable sending him back because the school is very small and he's also able to clearly communicate with us about his feelings and about what's going on at school. However, my 12-year-old daughter with TSC, who's more impacted by her disability, was not able to access distance learning at all and didn't understand what was going on. She's regressed academically, social, emotionally, and behaviorally. And it's clear to us that she's craving structure and she misses school. But because she's also immune compromised and at risk for higher and more complications, if she gets COVID, we are very anxious and hesitant about sending her back to school. She's also minimally verbal and can't tell me what goes on at school. So even though it's been very difficult to have her at home for so long, we are very apprehensive and anxious about sending her back to a large public school. And I'm sure there are many parents out there who feel that same hesitancy, especially because there's such a disparity district to district in terms of requiring masks, not requiring masks, having all teachers vaccinated, not requiring teachers to be 
vaccinated. So what options do parents have if they are nervous about sending their kid back to school based on what the precautions look like or don't look like in their school district? So distance learning requirements and funding for schools to provide that service expired at the end of June. So public schools are no longer required to provide distance learning. But we have to remember that IDEA or Individuals with Disabilities Education Act laws haven't changed and all timelines still apply and the districts are still legally required to offer students free and appropriate public education based on their unique needs. Now, we are only talking about kids that have IEPs. And parents can request an IEP meeting in writing to discuss the different options. And if this is time sensitive and they'd like to move things along as soon as possible, they can choose to excuse some of the IEP team members to help with scheduling. Some options available include independent study. This is not a new option. It's been around for a long time. And this is for students whose health would be possibly put at risk if they attend in person. And it gives the districts and students a lot of flexibility. And some states have received additional funding to implement independent study. And again, if a student has an IEP, the team needs to come together and decide if this is an appropriate placement. It is considered a change of placement for the kid. And it can look different depending on the district and what the IEP team decides. Another option is home hospital or homebound, which is typically for students with medical safety concerns. This will typically provide a minimum of five hours of support a week that can include special education and other related services to the students at home to enable them to make progress towards their IEP goals. And remember, homebound or home hospital is very different from homeschooling. I know a lot of people have been talking about how we've been homeschooled our kids the past year and a half. But homeschooling is actually a very different program, structured and needs to be registered and followed accordingly. So home hospital is for children that are not well enough to attend school. Again, it is considered a change in placement and any change of placement needs to go through the IEP process and agreed upon by the IEP team. If neither of those are an option for students, again, the IEP team can look at other options like placing a student in a district program that meets their needs, maybe a smaller setting where they can make meaningful progress towards their goals, including through assistive technology that allows them to participate remotely in the classroom. They could possibly identify a program outside the district that's more appropriate. So first step would be to call an IEP meeting to discuss what's appropriate for each student. You mentioned that your daughter really struggled in a remote learning environment, and I'm sure that was true for many kids with TSC who require structure in order to learn. How can parents advocate for their kids and really push schools to address the lost learning that occurred over the last year and a half? A very common question I get these days is exactly that and about how could they compensate their learning loss. Compensatory education or compensatory services is not new. Again, it refers to making up services that a school district was required to provide that they missed because the kids were not able to access the services. So the services that are in the child's IEP that they were not able to access during distance learning, they still have a right to ask for those hours and times services 
to be made up. The federal law that provides the special education, IDEA, was not put on hold during the pandemic. So those still need to be compensated through written request or within the IEP meeting. So schedule IEP meeting to discuss the present levels of performance. That means wherever the student is now. So present levels may look very different than they did because of the regression, right? For a lot of our kids, they do. So the present levels of performance or the plops, they call it, is a documentation of how the student is doing right now. And the families or the caregivers and the IEP team should consider if a child or student needs any additional evaluations or tests to determine where they are after a year or more of being at home. I always remind families that they are the experts on their child. And during this past year and a half, that's even more true because we were not only parents, but we were teachers, administrators, tutors, therapists. My daughter had on any given week, she had 15 people supporting her. And then during the past year and a half, it came down to mostly just me and my husband supporting her. So we absolutely are the experts on our children, even more so now than we were before. Many parents are reporting that they know a whole lot more about how their children learn because they were able to spend all the time with them and help them navigate the distance learning. The families can provide their findings to the school and present it to them as data. If you took notes or took videos, if you have work samples or you know certain experiences you had with your children, it's really important to share that with the IEP team and ask them to put it in writing in the IEP document, because as we know, if it's not in writing, it didn't happen, but it is absolutely data. What you've done with your children the past year and a half absolutely counts as data. It should be presented and considered when determining present levels of performance or evaluations that are needed, or if there need to be any changes to services or settings that each student needs. And then more generally, how should parents of kids with IEPs be preparing with the start of the school year, either preparing with the teachers or preparing with their kid to make sure that when that kid goes back to school, their needs are being met. Something that we've done with families, even in normal times, is to prepare an introduction to your child. One page, very simple, doesn't have to be anything elaborate about who their child is, what their strengths are, what the challenges are, how to best support them, saying something about what their likes and dislikes are, and having anyone that's working with your child have access to that so they know how to best support your child. And as I mentioned before, call an IEP meeting as soon as possible to decide what the best course of action is. Certainly, at least in the first four to six weeks of school, if the kids are back in person within the first 30 to 60 days of school, have an IEP meeting to examine how things are going, if there need to be any changes to the setting or to the services. For kids that have medical needs, of course, making sure that that's also included for a lot of our kids that need the seizure action plan to make sure that everybody on the team is aware of that. And of course, these are things that we'd have to do normally anyway, but now even more so because I don't know what it's like in other states, but here where we are, parents are no longer even allowed in the classroom. You just have to drop off your kids around the block and in front of the school and leave. You can't even have a face-to-face conversation oftentimes with the teachers. So it's really important to have a clear communication protocol between school and home and make sure that you are kind of checking in outside of the IEP meetings even 
to keep track of what's going well and what's not going well. And to that point, if the school year starts and parents are noticing that the IEP isn't being followed and that their child's needs aren't being met, what should they do to try and rectify those issues? The first step is always to call a meeting. And if you disagree with the district or if they are out of compliance, of course, there are options to file complaints through the legal channels or using an advocate or an attorney if you need to. But there are even things that families can do to raise concerns outside the IEP meeting. Finally, going back to school is very daunting. What resources does the TSC Alliance offer to support parents to help them advocate within the school system? So there are several publications available through the TSC Alliance, including a teacher's guide to educating a child with TSC, behavior issues in children with TSC, transitioning from school to community, and a healthcare packet that's available for the school nurse. We also have education parent mentors that are volunteer parents with children with TSC, most of them, that provide one-on-one support to families and schools to help navigate the special education system. There is a training called TSC 101 that provides a great overview and information about TSC for anyone that's working with our kids. TSC Alliance also has staff that can provide medical information and input verifying the student's need, perhaps that need to stay in a remote setting or documenting other safety requirements needed for them to succeed in school. There are a number of publications on the TSC Alliance website that are available to families to use as well. So bottom line, if you find yourself struggling with your school system, pick up the phone, send us an email and we will do everything we can to help you. Absolutely. Do you have any other final advice just for parents as they navigate this transition? No, nothing outside of what we've already talked about. Just remembering that you are the experts on your kids and to trust your gut. And remember that you are your children's voice and keep doing what we've always done for our kids and advocating for our kids. Well, thank you for the many ways you support our community. And thank you for your insights today. And just thank you for taking time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. And good luck to everyone going back to school. My thanks to Lillian for her advice to parents as the new school year starts, especially the importance of getting things in writing and that parents should call an IEP meeting if they have concerns about their kids. I will include links to some of the resources Lillian mentioned in our conversation in the show notes. I'll also include a link to a previous episode where she and I had a more in-depth conversation about what an IEP is, what's the process to create one, who needs to be involved, and how parents can prepare for those meetings. This will serve as a good primer for anyone just starting that process. Lillian also talked about the importance of developing a seizure action plan as part of your school preparation. Last month, the Seizure Action Plan Coalition held a webinar called ABC to SAP, Why Your Child Needs a Seizure Action Plan. The webinar featured parents and healthcare providers sharing why these plans were important and how to create one. The Seizure Action Plan Coalition also created a virtual backpack with step-by-step guides on how to prepare for the upcoming year. I'll include a link to both of these resources in the show notes. Finally, as Lillian mentioned, the TSC Alliance is here to support you with any school issues you may be having. If you need support for developing an IEP or preparing for an upcoming IEP meeting, you can fill out our IEP intake form and a TSC Alliance staff member will reach out to you within 48 hours. If you have more general questions, you can reach out to Shelley Meitzler, Community Program Manager East at 800-225-6872 or shoot her an email at smeitzler.com 
at tscalliance.org. Next, I talked to Latrice Hamilton, a licensed professional counselor at Journey to New Beginnings. With many TSC caregivers feeling the stress and anxiety of the ongoing pandemic, in addition to sending kids back to school, Latrice offers some helpful advice on how to manage stress, communicate effectively with loved ones, and ask for help so that parents can make sure they are taking care of their own mental well-being in addition to caring for their loved ones with TSC. Here's my conversation with Latrice. We're now joined by Latrice Hamilton, a licensed professional counselor at Journey to New Beginnings. Latrice, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. You're welcome. My pleasure. I wanted to talk to you because throughout the pandemic, parents have had to navigate really an ever-changing environment and they're bombarded by information from all sides and it's not always clear what's correct and what's not correct. It feels like you're almost standing on shifting sands. And for many parents, especially of kids with TSC, this creates a lot of feelings of stress and anxiety. And I'm sure a lot of parents out there are feeling this, especially right now, because they're sending their kids back to school for the first time in a year and aren't really sure what to expect. So just to start off, what are some strategies parents can use to help really manage that stress and anxiety they're feeling? I think one thing is that we have to realize that we can expect anxiety to happen because it happens in us. And so therefore it would definitely happen in our children. And a lot of times they look at us and see how we handle our emotions and they can feed off of our energy. But it's also good to let them know that it's okay to feel that way. We all feel that way. We can talk about it with each other. It's okay for parents to let their kids know I'm having a bad day. I'm feeling really nervous today. The times we live in, things are really not the same how they used to be. And so we're having to all adapt to new changes in a new world and things can happen unexpectedly, especially with TSC and our families. And so we have to know how do we respond? So in reference to kids and helping them to manage their anxiety, you have to look for some of the signals or some of the signs that you may see in them. They tell me maybe hurting. They may say, my hands feel really sweaty. I feel shaky. My heart is beating really fast. My thoughts are really racing. I can't just control myself. I'm having a hard time. Then you have kids that totally shut down. They may want to isolate, get off to themselves. They may not want to go to school. They may not want to be around friends. And there are times when they just act out in anger. You may see the anger outburst in them and they're not knowing how to calm down, how to regulate themselves. So one thing I like to do in therapy with kids, we may draw a circle. Inside the circle, let's put in things that we can control within our own self. So it may be my reaction to what I'm feeling. It may be my thoughts. I can learn how to control them. It may be my body. How can I do things with my own body to help myself calm down? And then you look at what are the things on the outside that I cannot control? We can't control what goes on with the pandemic. We can't control others' reactions. We cannot control what they would say, how they respond. We can't control the weather. So those are things that we can't control. And then let us be okay with that, knowing I can't control these things. So I can learn how to say positive thoughts in the midst of the chaos and what's going on. I can say I'm resilient, I'm brave, I'm going to have a positive day, I'm going to work on calming my body down. And so those are things that they can actually see that they can control. And one thing I like to do sometimes even with my own kid is we learn the serenity prayer. So let's pray about 
knowing the difference in what I can control and what I can't control. And maybe you want to break that prayer down to a child level or something that they can understand or they can come up with their own prayer. So it's like I'm laying my prayers down. I'm laying my worries down. I'm releasing it. I'm letting it go. And that way I can bring some positive energy back into my own space and they give kids control that I can do things on my own to feel better. And it helps parents feel better that they're helping to empower their own kid to feel better. Yeah, I think that's so helpful thinking about what you can and can't control, especially as you said, kids feed off of how their parents are feeling. So if a parent can project positivity, then that helps their kids also manage through everything else that's going on. Yes. In therapy, we do a lot of things through play because you can connect with kids through play and on their level. So in our office, we have a playroom. And so we have the sand tray. And so they can actually express their emotions through play. And even at home, parents can design their own play bucket or bin, and they can put things in it that could be sensor related for calming down or just the different figures where they can actually talk out their feelings as well to let them know it's okay for us to have these hard conversations. Another element of the pandemic is it's sort of upended everyone's routines. We've all been stuck at home for over a year. And I'm sure for many people, it feels like the walls are closing in a little bit. And especially for parents with kids with special needs who require additional attention and care, Mm -hmm. it may feel like they're not making any time for themselves. How can parents carve out some space for themselves, give themselves space to rejuvenate so that they continue to be present for their own kids. Yes, it's so important that we remain present in our everyday life of the TSC world. I always tell people, make it intentional. If somebody's coming to my office to see me, that's important, taking out time for yourself. Also treat yourself at home the same way. If my day is going to be busy, I'm still going to carve out that time where there's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, where I'm going to do something that I enjoy doing. And whether that's movement, whether it's exercising, listening to your favorite songs, have a playlist you can listen to, or just having some quiet time where you create a calm spot in your room or at your home and you can just sit there calmly, meditate, and just kind of relax. Give yourself permission to feel good or give yourself permission to relax. Because sometimes we feel like we're just have to do it all for our kids, for our families with TSC, our dynamics of things are so different and we don't give ourselves permission to just breathe. And so sometimes we feel guilty. It's because we're giving ourselves some time we're showing ourselves some love and it's okay if you do those things for yourself that's how you be resilient to bounce back to be able to be there for your family and your kids yeah absolutely i think if you can you know refill your own tank you have more to give yes. to your family and to your kids and you have to make sure that you're making time for yourself too i think to me that's one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself and not feel guilty as a special needs parent you know in that same vein i remember reading a new york times story earlier in the year and the word that they used to describe how people were feeling is languishing, which I thought was a really interesting word because it's not quite, I'm not depressed. I just feel stagnant. I feel stuck. I'm sure people are feeling burnt out from being at home all the time. How can people start to address those feelings of burnout, even though we're still not sure when we're going to turn the corner? Yeah, I think also invest in doing therapy for yourself. Mm -hmm. Whether it's through telehealth, some people are meeting in person. We do in our office meet in person. We do telehealth as well. And so knowing that it's okay if I seek out help, knowing it's okay if I seek out the resources for myself, because this is really a traumatic experience that we all experience. And so our minds, our body, our soul, everything is reacting to 
trauma that we're facing and that we're dealing with. So a lot of times in therapy, I'm teaching even my kids and even my patients, I teach them what we call the butterfly hug. So it's a technique from EMDR therapy. So it's trauma therapy. And so what this call is bilateral stimulation and it's sending signals to your brain. So sometimes when we can't always do it, we can do a technique that sends signals to help our brain calm down. And it really works. So you have to be intentional about that and even doing it within the moment. When you're feeling all worked up, when you're feeling overwhelmed, doing techniques like that and grounding techniques to really help to relax your body to feel better. So you use the word trauma and it is really a shared trauma that we've all gone through. And for some people, that feeling of trauma has been even more acute, yes. whether it's because they got COVID themselves and felt really sick and are still feeling fear from that or whether they lost a loved one from COVID. For people who are experiencing that level of trauma, what advice would you give beyond taking that first step to ask for help versus looking at you know what's going on around you what's going on in your environment and even within your immediate family talking about the hard stuff if you're feeling really sad about what's going on you're feeling really nervous and anxious and even angry knowing that it's okay if I talk about loss and loss and grief is different for everybody and knowing it's something that we don't have to shy away from that we can say hey this is a grief response these are the normal stages of grief and being open to talk about the hard stuff and definitely you know making sure that you're getting yourself help or asking for what you may need in the moment tell your family tell your friends what you may need in the moment because sometimes we feel like when we release our stuff onto other people, we feel like we are burden. But the people that are there for you, they love you. They want to hear what's going on with you. Yeah, they can give you some of the words of encouragement that you may need in order to get through the process. And give yourself grace not to be hard on yourself during these times as well, knowing that, you know, it's okay if I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and I don't have to be ashamed of it, but I can, I can get through it without the support and the help. I can get through it. Yeah. I think, you know, in addition to not wanting to burden our loved ones with our own feelings of grief, there's also, you know, a hesitancy to really allow yourself to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. but, you know, overcoming that vulnerability really allows you to start to heal. It does, for sure. It's one of the key things, you know, be vulnerable and knowing that when I'm vulnerable, when I get uncomfortable, there's going to be some comfort in that. You talked a little bit about open communication with family and your loved ones and having hard conversations. And there's been a lot of divisiveness around the pandemic, around the vaccines. And, you know, we've seen it in the TSC community where people have different ideas and different feelings, and yeah. it's led to a lot of really negative conversations. So, what are some communication strategies for approaching a family member or a friend to have a tough conversation where maybe you don't see eye to eye, but you want to be able to leave that conversation knowing that, you know, you still care for each other, you still love each other, and you're just looking out for each other? I think for one, being open-minded, listening, sometimes knowing that I may feel this way and somebody else may feel different. And it's okay because our circumstances are different. The decisions that we make in our lives are different than what somebody else may make. And it's being okay with that because you realize we were friends, we're family, and we still want to maintain those relationships, even though we may approach things differently. It's just like, you know, if you're talking about religion, if you're talking about politics, we all may disagree with those things. So it doesn't mean that our friendships or relationships has to end because we disagree and see things differently. We can learn how to respect others and their differences and knowing that it's okay. We can agree to disagree and it can be okay. You have to be okay with making the best decision for your family, 
even if it doesn't look like what somebody else does. And you just have to be okay with that and do what's best for your life. I'm sure this whole experience has added additional stress to couples and yes. and parents, especially parents of special needs kids who face added stress every day, just mm-hmm. getting through the day. What strategies would you recommend for parents to make sure that they're on the same page, they're effectively communicating with each other, they're continuing to prioritize their relationship so that they can be a strong foundation for their family? Carving in time for each other. Here's my word again, being intentional. <laughs> about still dating each other during the pandemic. So like with my family, my husband and I, usually when Terrence is asleep at night, we can still watch him or still have our monitor on to see him. But we're going to carve out like a little date night just for us to kind of be together, to talk, have fun together. It may be a night we listen to music. We just start dancing and laughing. But you have to be intentional. And then set aside the time when you're having like the hard conversation to say, I'm having a bad day today. It's hard today. And your husband or wife may say, well, what do you need from me? How can I make this easier for you? And just be okay with telling them what the things that you need. Because I can remember myself vividly throughout Terrence's diagnosis, me doing everything. And like, you know, I have to get it all done. I have to get it all done. It was the I word instead of a we. And I learned to ask my husband for the help that I needed. And it was a simple question of just telling him, you know, what I needed and what was going on with me. And then he was like, oh, okay, I can help you in this area. We can do this. I can do that. Oh, don't worry about that. I got that. And we learn how to bounce off of each other. We can almost look at each other and know when some one of us is stressed or having a hard day. And we'll say, well, I got that. You get tears now and you go take a break. And so we feed off of each other. We've learned to be that way. We take time for ourselves separately from each other. You know, we go hang out with friends if we can. And then we open ourselves. We have a lot of support. So you have to be able to open up yourself to supports that you have that around you. And sometimes all the support may not be family all the time, but knowing that I I can still get out and maybe do things with my spouse. And I may have my nurse watching my kid while I'm gone. I may have a close friend that know our situation that can watch our kid. So making sure that you still prioritize your relationship because it's, it's so, so, so important that you just stay connected with each other. The two things I hear you say over and over again are one, be intentional, which is important for all of your relationships in your life. And two, being willing to ask for help. I mean, especially with your spouse, you can't assume that they know what you need and that they're not a mind reader. So, you know, being willing to ask for help and having and receiving that help is so important. So finally, you kind of alluded to it, but, you know, in addition to being a counselor, you're also a parent yourself. You know, you have your son... Parents with TSC, how is your family doing? How are you doing through all of this? I've been doing pretty good kind of maintaining myself. One thing that my family, that we do almost every day, we all love to exercise. And so we all exercise almost every day together. (laughs) We're doing our little individual things. Terrence loves boxing. So now I have incorporated boxing into my workouts. And then my husband's usually lifting weights. So we're all in the same room doing it at the same time. And so we have our music on. And so we usually jam into the music and then we're still exercising and we're laughing, we're having fun. So that is something that we've learned to do with our family. On top of dealing with the pandemic for Terrence has been very anxious for him. He's been having a lot of anxiety from it. And so there are times when he don't want to go anywhere. He want to kind of be in. So we safely leave sometimes, you know, places that he will want to go. But we also have created a safe place at home where we can have 
fun, where we can kind of relax. And a lot of the techniques that I've used in therapy, I do the butterfly technique with Terrence. I help him to tap on himself. And I also do it with my own self. When I'm feeling very nervous and very anxious, especially when Terrence is having some really hard seizure activity that causes a lot of anxiety within our family and some responses to PTSD. And so we've learned how to manage a lot of the things that we go through as well. Are there any other strategies that either you've used at home to manage anxiety or that you would recommend to other parents that they might use when in an anxious situation? One thing that we've done with anxiety at home, especially with Terrence, is that with having seizures, it can be very emotional for him, very scary, very anxious. And so we learn how to, we always call it change your brain, change your mind. Let's do something fun. Let's kind of refocus. And then once we're calm enough, then we can go back and we can talk about it. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about how we feel. Now let's do some deep breathing together. Or let's listen to some calming music together. Sometimes we'll lay down on the floor and we'll put our hands on our belly and we'll do some deep breathing to calming music. And that has helped a whole lot. Just being able to stop and breathe and slow down. Let me catch my breath. That has worked a lot. And we give a lot of hugs because we can hug each other at home. That deep pressure of that sometimes self or even giving yourself a hug helps a lot. And do you have any final just general advice for parents as we continue to work through this mm-hmm. pandemic? Let's not go back to the TSC saying that I always love there's hope no matter how complex and to hang in there. Things do get better. We don't always stay in the position that we're in. And so know that there's hope no matter what we go through. Well, thank you for all of the incredible advice you've given. And, you know, thank you too for just taking time to talk to me. I know that (laughs) uh, the parents that are listening will surely appreciate some of the tips you've given them and start using them at home. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. My thanks to Latrice for all of her incredible advice on navigating the uncertainty we're all facing right now. Her reminders to act with intention, make time for yourself, and be willing to ask for help are pieces of wisdom we can all carry forward as we stick together as a community through this latest Delta surge. I'll post a link to the butterfly hug method she mentioned in the show notes so you can use that technique at home. And as mentioned in the past, All of the TSC Alliance's resources on COVID-19 are available on our website at tscalliance.org slash COVID-19. Finally, if you're ever in crisis or need help from us, you can call our emergency hotline 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern. The number is 240-463-7250. I hope you all found this episode helpful as you head back to school. And I'll be back next month with a fresh episode of TSC Now. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.